Renee. Hi. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> Finally got you on, huh? Yep, I'm here. That's good. It's a good thing. So it wasn't that bad, right? Nope, not too bad. Yeah. So um, just it's it's not a you know real strenuous thing. I know that you said that you were kind of nervous before, so. I'm, I don't make it to where it's pretty much structured. I like to just, you know, actually meet the person, let everything flow how it's supposed to go. That's all. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Um, so if you would go ahead and let us know, you know, pretty much who you are, uh, where you're located, and what profession you're in. Okay. Uh, my name is Renee Waterman. Currently, I work for our local hospital um, in the Mojave Desert. And um, I've been in this position just a little over three years now. Um, and I work as the benefits specialist. So right now I'm managing the benefits for our 800 employees. Um, in addition to leave of absences, implementation, um, project manager type stuff. Um, kind of a little bit of everything in human resources. Okay. Um, so uh, a little bit about myself. Um, my name is Eric Hodges Jr. I am the uh, founder and development director of the Rose Project Incorporated, which stands for Removing Obstacles, Strongholds, and Excuses. Uh, basically, this platform was developed because I initially started um, from an idea where my uncle wanted me to write a book. <laughs> I told him, you've lost your mind if you think that I'm going to be able to write a book about everything <laughs> that I went through <laughs> in order to, you know, pretty much develop the skills or be where I am today, um, you know, personally and professionally. And the the name of the project was named after my grandmother, whose name is Rose. She passed away from cancer. Um, and one of her requests from me was to take care of the kids. And in my mind, I didn't know what she meant by that, because at this time, I don't have kids. Um, I have a niece and I have younger siblings of my own. And then I also have younger uh, cousins as well. So with that being said, I struggled with trying to actually find a name for uh, the youth nonprofit. So that's how I came up with the acronym ROSE um, with all the things that I went through. So I thought about obstacles, you know, the strongholds for the things that held me back and also the excuses that I made for myself in order to be where I'm at um, right now. Uh, many of those excuses are some that's affecting a lot of people today. So what I found um, was, you know, after high school, it was kind of a struggle. Um, you know, I thought that I was fully prepared for not only college, but for the world, but I was surely mistaken <laughs> um, how about you um it's actually kind of similar um I came from a tough background I had um addict parents um was adopted later in my youth um but not a great situation um spent a lot of time being told that you know I was going to be like my biological parents and wasn't going to amount to much and Honestly, I think that that was kind of my, um, I don't really know how to say it, just, I didn't agree with them and um, realized that I needed to turn things around in high school if I ever wanted to 
do what I wanted to do if I ever wanted to leave and be successful. And um, I really didn't have any education until late in my 20s. And I put myself through school. And I think every time somebody told me I couldn't, I tried harder and might have taken me a little bit and I might have stumbled a lot, but I always got back up and, you know, kind of just paved my own course despite all the obstacles and despite my background and despite what everybody thought I could accomplish and far exceeded what they thought I could. So that's amazing. That's amazing. And I, I just want to, you know, congratulate you for that because that's, that's hard work. Um, you know, that was just fuel to your fire. You know, sometimes people will try to doubt us or tell us what we can't do. And it, it will make you mad and it will push and make you push yourself to where you like, no, nah, I can't have this right now. Like, I know I can be better than this and I don't want to end up, you know, like my parents. And, you know, pretty much in the same sense, you know, I didn't want to end up like my parents in, in a way um far as their stubbornness but with me um <laughs> I grew up in a two-parent household both of my parents were married um but there were challenges I'm not going to lie there were challenges um but you know sometimes we look to people who are much older to older than us or who we think is supposed to be the responsible one and then now you're looking at yourself as a kid like okay well you know now I I feel like I can't depend on them or you know, I don't think they know as much as I need to know um, what, about whatever the situation may be. Um, and that's where it was lacking with my parents. Like, you know, they, they had a business, they were working, you know, but the questions just couldn't be answered in certain ways. So, um, you know, it was interesting to talk to you on LinkedIn. And you said you don't get on LinkedIn quite often, right? No, not till recently. Um, we are looking at relocating to Florida. So I joined LinkedIn as a way to start networking and trying to head um, that way. Like I said, I've been in my current position for three years um, and hadn't really had much experience in LinkedIn. I'm not, I don't do the recruiter side of human resources. Mm -hmm. So I'm um, still getting used to it, still kind of trying to navigate all of it. And I just happened to see your post which, um, like I mentioned in the post, is very near to me because the whole reason I got started in HR was, you know, because somebody took a chance on me and, you know, saw potential. Right. So um, I was actually really excited when you reached out to me because, like I said, I don't, not really familiar with the whole networking thing, definitely not familiar with the podcast. I'm still trying to ease into, into that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's nothing wrong with that. You know, we have some people that work in HR. They, you know, they're the people person. They can get out there. They can be active like I do on my end. And then you have some of them who, you know, pretty much they want to, you know, control their own environment, do their own work. There's nothing wrong with that. We're all different. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was reading the, reading the uh, response that you wrote. And, you know, it kind of took me back to a point where uh, there were, Many students coming to me at one point in time and saying, hey, well, you know, I don't have this much experience or I just graduated with my bachelor's degree. And, you know, I faced some of the same situations that they were in at one time because it took me over 10 years to finish my own education. Um, I graduated at 30. So, you know, I went back and forth to school. But, of course, I was 
you know, away for school and then I have financial issues or whatever the case may be. We all have obstacles. That's what that's what life is. Right. Right. So basically, um, you know, I, I didn't want any students to go through the same thing that I went through or have those hard times because it's not a good feeling. You feel like you, you know, you're wasting time. You feel like you're not having as much fun in your in your youth, in your early 20s or right when you break out of high school, like everyone else is doing. And I, I felt that I pretty much lost that part of it because I was so focused on, you know, not having enough money or not knowing anything about credit or, you know, loans, student loans, personal loans. I didn't have any information or knowledge about that. And I kind of felt like my high school career or even my public school system failed me. I mean, that's the way I felt. And I still feel that way today because of the way that the system is set up. And it has, you know, pretty much everything to do with, you know, the, the politics or, you know, people in the, you know, school boards or systems that don't have the passion to do it because I feel like most people just want to collect a check. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. Um, I, I, huh? So that's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see, you know, the passion or the drive, you know, I read an article, I think of maybe yesterday or the day before yesterday, and they wanted to talk about how the public school system had increased. I think it was at like 14% and then they said it increased to 46%. And I'm like, okay, if we thought about that in a business term, that would be failing as an overall score. Like from 14% to 46%, I'm not happy about that. Like, I don't understand how they can be happy about saying that that was the increase that they had. And, you know, they have all of these standardized tests that they have to take. Some people are just not test takers. I wasn't a test taker. Me I could do my work. <laughs> huh? I have a dyslexia, so I actually had a really hard time with test um i could do the homework and ace the class portion of it but when uh -huh. it came to test i i couldn't do them i could barely pass with c's wow and it's funny that you say that because um i actually have um one of my cousins who's in high school now and his mother just found out that he was actually experiencing the same thing um and diagnosed with you know those issues of test taking and you know having that type of struggle so it'll be interesting to talk to you more about that um later on because i don't know much about it um but i do know that some people struggle with that but i would like to know more about it especially from somebody who has already experienced it absolutely so the um, person who pretty much took a chance on you, tell me about that person and how you uh, came in contact with that professional. So um, in 2006, my husband at the time was being stationed in San Diego, and I happened to see a position for a human resources generalist at the Salvation Army Divisional Headquarters. Um, did not have the experience or the education that they were looking for, but my stepmother and my sister were in HR and it was always something that really interested me, but because I didn't have the education to back it up, I usually could not find positions in that field. Um, up until that point, I had been an insurance biller and an office manager for a small pediatrician's office, but I applied for the job and was 
totally terrified when they actually called me for the interview. Um, I remember going in thinking that I was wasting their time and knowing, but I knew that I wanted that job. And so, you know, I stumbled over most of the interview questions, but at the end of that um, interview, she asked me, her and the panel asked me why they should hire me for the position. And at that point, I just felt like it was do or die time. And I just took a deep breath and just decided to be honest. And I told them that I knew that they had more educated and qualified people for that position. I told them I know I had zero experience in human resources and that maybe I was in over my head. Um, and told them I totally got that it made sense to hire those people over me. But if they wanted somebody who was driven and passionate and, and had a strong desire to learn, that they weren't going to find anybody better for the job than me. So when I got done with the interview, they asked me to go sit in their conference room. And I had never done a panel interview before. So I just kind of sat there and kind of beat myself up for screwing up the interview thinking that I was you know, a little too zealous, maybe a little bit too forward, um, rethinking how I should have answered the questions. And then the director asked me to come back in and rejoin them. And she told me that they were very impressed with my interview and that they wanted me to join their team. And that kind of started my 13 years in human resources. That's great. That's great. Um, you know, that's, that's, that shows a lot of integrity and basically, you know, the fact that you, you were nervous in going into that interview and you really felt like you were wasting your time. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I've been on interviews where I've done the same thing. Um, you know, because you know that you pretty much can do that job. And, And this is my dilemma with that. I believe that everyone can do the job if they have the desire or the drive to do it. In addition to, wanting to be able to be taught because guess what every position that we get or every job that we go to or be hired for we still have to learn the process of that company so someone is going to teach you or train you you know how to perform the job so why do you need these strict requirements in order to fill the role of that position right and them taking a chance on you i think they're pretty much happy of uh, actually selecting you i'm sure yeah, when um, my director was a little bit older, so I worked there for about two years um, before she retired. And I went from the new kid on the block to the senior most generalist in those two years. Um, I wanted to know everything. I was very eager, um, did the tasks that nobody else wanted to do. That uh, director, she would pull me into her office. She would give me scenarios, ask um, what she thought that I would do. And she would just kind of mentor me and, you know, let me know, well, this is why we could do that. This is why we wouldn't do that. And just kind of took me under her wing. And then when she went to retire, she told me, um, she pulled me in her office and she said that one of the best things that she did was hire me and that she had never seen somebody as young as I and, um, come into that role and exceed as much as I did and she told me that the only thing that would hold me back in my career was my lack of education and to consider going to school and furthering you know my education so that I could be more successful and I took that with me um, into the next 
you know, I started with my associate's degree at a community college, went on to get my bachelor's degree just this last November. Um, but I owe that director my entire career. I mean, it really, but they, they can see that they can sense that they, you know, I think it, once you get past the minimum requirements and you just need to have those people that have fire in them and take that chance with them. You can teach them. They're teachable if they want to learn, you know, a degree doesn't means you just went through the process. It doesn't, you know, yes, it may help hold some weight, but I think more than anything desires and passions and, you know, and need to prove your, I think all of that plays an even heavier role when you, you know, select people. And sometimes I think I'm in the wrong field. I mean, human resources is, really a lot of minimum requirements and degrees and I don't always agree with it right <laughs> yeah I'm the same way um and, and I pretty much ended up um that way as well because actually when I was starting back going to school I actually was in business um and I took a human resources role um at a tv station called tv one um, as a contractor, and that probably was the motivator and the booster to my HR career. Um, my boss was, was she was tough, um, but she pretty much from the first initial meet and the interview, I could tell that, you know, she was a very strong, driven, um, and results type person. Um, I was uh, interviewed for HR assistant role at that time. And, you know, she, she questioned me with a lot of detailed questions. They weren't, they were not like general questions like, you know, hey, tell me about yourself or, you know, what do you think about this or what's your character like? She didn't give me those type of questions. I mean, she pretty much like asked me like, you know, what is your thought process on X, Y, and Z? And how would you recover from this? Or how would you keep me? up to date with, you know, things before they, before the ball dropped. And it was interesting because I had never been in an interview like this before. Um, I'm not going to lie. I felt intimidated, but I wanted, I didn't want her to see that at the time, but even in the interview, as she was evaluating me, I was evaluating her, which was kind of like a, a dead match for us to work together. So she was the VP of HR and even after the interview, um, you know, we parted ways and I had to wait around for the second interview, which I came back another time. But I didn't know about the second interview when I left. She just told me that they'll be in contact with me. So I didn't really think much about it. Then I got called back for the second interview. And when I came back for the second interview, I was shocked that she would actually do what she did. So basically, when I came back for the second interview, she told me what I did wrong in the first interview, how I can recover from it. And she gave me, you know, ideas about, you know, certain processes or procedures. And then she also told me that I said, um, too much. <laughs> <laughs> I do so, that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do it a lot, too. And it's just like, you know, it's, she she claimed that it's like you're trying to uh, think of something to say but I'm like no I know what I'm going to say I just don't want to like you know mumble everything up at one time but she gave me the attention to detail that I really need not only in my speech but in my work 
like my attention to detail and my keen eye now is so effective because of her. And I couldn't thank her more because when I see stuff now or when I look at other people's work or review it or whatever the case may be, I'm like, okay, I already spotted an error or like, you know, this is wrong or this needs to be changed or, you know, structure this this way to make it look better. And that was her thing. How can you make it better? So better was my favorite word after working with her. (laughs) (laughs) So um, pretty much she would, you know, always say, you know, hey, think of it like this. If this had to go into a magazine today, will it work? Will there be no errors? Will the punctuation be correct? You know, will will your story be, you know, in line to what you're trying to say to your audience? Does it look great? You know, can you print this and I don't have to look at it? That's pretty much the way she trained me to be. So I didn't have to, you know, have her review the document. She trusted the work to where if you gave me the assignment, I wrote it or, you know, I did whatever with it. I passed it on to you. You can be able to pass it on to the president of the company and don't have to worry about it. And that it 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 frustrated me and made me nervous in the beginning. But I kind of got it, you know, after a while because I didn't want to fail. That was right. my major thing. I didn't want to fail. Um, and and that's the way that some of the um, young professionals need to be pushed in that direction today. And a lot of them are not because they don't have the experience or even if they have a bachelor's degree, you know, they don't have the experience to back up the bachelor's degree. And it's like, okay, you have a degree, which is a requirement, but you don't have 15 years worth of experience. And right. that's the frustrating part. Sometimes it feels like the, you know, you have the degree, but that just says that you have the ability to take tests and do assignments and that you have the ability to learn. But exactly. I think that the working component, the skills, the, you know, all of that is missing. So if you go straight from, you know, if you did the BS classes in high school and didn't, like when I was in high school, I took a regional occupation course. Um, And what that course did was it actually let me use my high school experience to be placed into a local business where I would go for the two hours that I was supposed to be in that class. Instead of going to class, I would go to this job and they would teach me how to do medical assisting. And when the doctor wasn't there, they taught me how to do billing. And I learned how to use a computer. I learned how to interact with patients and, you know, not everybody when they come to the doctors in their best, you know, form. So learning to deal with difficult people and all of that, so that when I got out of high school, I didn't have to keep my job at the local hamburger stand. I went into a full-time billing position when I turned 18 and ended up as office manager at the age of 20. So I think that a lot of times that, that working component and learning those skills are missing. You can't always learn those skills going through just doing courses and going to classes and you know doing assignments. I wish more schools had those types of programs where you could get the the work experience while you were getting the education exactly exactly and that's pretty much the basis of you know my my project because my my the theme is to empower engage and expose because you have to be able to you know learn these skills how would you learn them 
you have to be exposed to them. You have to know somebody who's proficient in whatever work that you're trying to learn, whether that's learning a computer skill, you know, you know, learning sign language, whatever the case may be. You have that exposure, therefore you're being taught by somebody who's either, you know, a master of that craft, proficient in it, or they know what it takes to, you know, be successful in the workplace. And, you know, that's why we have a lot of problems with the conflicts in the workplace, because it's like, you know, you're dealing with people with all these different personalities, but some people, and what I'm finding out now, well, not what I'm finding out, what I see, even with the younger kids, is they don't know how to socially interact with people. And why do you think they don't know how to socially interact with people? Because everything is social media and online and you don't have to interact anymore. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So there's a good and a bad side to technology. But I think that, you know, sometimes the technology needs to be brought away or taken away at times because it's like you don't you don't have the social skills that you need in order to talk to people. You don't know how, you know, hey, take five minutes, take a walk with a coworker, talk about something or, you know, you don't know how to socially interact or engage with somebody. And, you know, you're just this, uh, what do you want to call it, introvert? And it's not really who you are. Right. And I am naturally introverted. So it's taken me quite a few years to get to the point where I felt like I could voice my opinion. I could give my thoughts. I could. It it is definitely a learned skill because it does not come naturally to me at all. Um, like I told you with the podcast, it's, you know, even though I'm not in front of anybody, even though nobody's watching me, it's just knowing that the attention is on me that, you know, you have to work through that. You have to learn it. Like I said, I do new hire orientations every single week. And if there's more than two or three people in that class, my voice will shake. I will get nervous. It, It just, it doesn't go away. You just learn how to deal with it and adapt and learn skills so that it becomes easier it may never come naturally, but at least that you can make it come easier to you so that you can better do what you need to do. But exactly. Yeah. And I'm going to read something that I posted on my Instagram page and I was shocked at the results that I received because I was like, okay, I don't think I had this problem when I was in school, but apparently like people have like, you know, anxiety attacks i mean they're sweating they're you know pretty much the same thing you're saying so here it is so on my instagram page i posted this picture that i got from a friend of mine um that i used to work with and it says in elementary school when we would have to read out loud to the class from the textbook i would literally count the kids in front of me and figure out what section i was reading so i could practice it before what did it say? Before it got to my turn. And I think that's where my anxiety started. I had over, what was it? Over probably 50-something people talking about this text and 197 likes. And I'm just like, okay, I don't know about this side. So what anxiety do people really have by reading in the classroom? Did you have anxiety like that? I did. Um at that t- I did not know I had dyslexia until I was an adult. Um, so I didn't have those tools when I was, I just knew that I wasn't a great student. I was mediocre 
at best. And I remember being in second grade and that's about the time that they start teaching you uh, to read out loud and the comprehension of what you're reading and all of that. And I did that exact thing. Like I knew where my turn was coming. I would read it because not only was I nervous and was I worried about, you know, people laughing at me because that's always been a big thing with me too, is I don't like people laughing at me. I don't like making a fool out of myself and having to read and then having dyslexia and stumbling over the words and mixing them up and all of that. I knew why the teacher did it, but yes, it definitely caused a lot of anxiety all the way up until my adult years. My first college class, I had to get up and um, there was a class on how to become a master student, how to prepare you for your college. And I had to go stand up in front of the class and I picked something a little too personal. So combined with nerves and how personal it was, and I cried, like not full boat, like, but I had tears running down my face in that class because everybody's eyes were on me and the amount of anxiety that I felt was very overwhelming. And I've come a long, long way since then. But I said that it is, you clam up, you your heart starts racing, you're, you're afraid of making a fool out of yourself. And then that adds to it. It, it's not an easy thing if you're, and like I said, I mean, I'm 37 now and I still stumble with it. Interesting. And and see, that's, I, I think because, um, you know, I've never noticed that, but it was interesting when we were on that topic because I was like, this is pretty awful. Like, why don't teachers recognize this type of stuff? And then on top of that, I always say, this is the problem with the school system now. It's like, okay, if you want the kid to read out loud and you probably already know that they have, you know, not, a, you probably know that they are already not at a good reading level or they're not good at reading at all out loud to the class or they don't want to read at all. Why don't you teach them how to get over that phobia or over, you know, pretty much, speaking up or talking to the class or, you know, developing those public speaking skills because where else are they going to learn it? They're there to learn it with you right now. And to me, I kind of felt like did the teacher fail these students or, you know, fail with trying to get, get there or get past that? Because when I read the responses, I, I was just, I was blown away. Like I had no idea that it was that deep. Yeah, because they, I mean, they do have you read out loud and stuff when you're in second and third grade, but then they kind of get away from that, obviously, as they know that you know how to read and all of that. And I really didn't have my next experience with, you know, reading or talking to a class until I was in my sophomore year of high school. And we had to do biographies on ourselves. And like I said, I come from a very troubled childhood. So for me to get up and do a biography in front of a class at the age of 14 wow. was terrifying, but I only had that one time. So it wasn't something that, you know, I was continuously having to do to overcome or learning how to, how to do that. Um, I remember being in sixth grade and my essay had won. It was for the dare program, uh, the dare drug program. Yeah. My essay won because I talked about my, you know, addict parents and what I went through. And um, 
they asked me to read my speech in front of the school and I couldn't do it. I didn't tell my parents at the time that I had won. I just, the fear of talking in front of that many people was so overwhelming and being, you know, in sixth grade, I couldn't do it. And then like I said, it wasn't until high school and, you know, eventually college, but I only had to do it once every like few years. So there was no way to get used to it and work through it. And, you know, maybe if they had done more types of those classes and, but when you're doing like math and English and, you know, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to get up in front of the class and talk, but kids are brutal too. I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, a conscious decision that the teachers make, but they don't want to put you up there and, you know, have your classmates heckle you and. I'm I'm really not sure. I do think that having more exposure to it would have helped. But it was it was rare and far in between. Right. Um, so I mean that's pretty much a a terrifying situation and I don't think that anyone should be put in that situation as far as, you know, having that type of anxiety in class and I don't know why a teacher wouldn't be able to recognize that because you shouldn't be prolonging it if you you can pretty much tell that the student is not good at doing that at that time but this is why I stress with you know developing my program and trying to figure out you know how to reach kids from K through 12 which some people think that you know K through 12 you know why why so early and I'm like well if you only want to do it between middle school and high school why so late because the, the kid is developing with a sponge brain when they're in elementary school this is the time for you to teach them all of those skills. You don't have to force it on them or make it seem that way, but you can play games. You can do different things for them to learn or just create an open conversation. That's all it takes. Absolutely. So um, one of the uh, programs that I'm, I've developed is called the ACCs. And basically it's something that will incorporate uh, just the same as what you were talking about um, as far as, you know, building that confidence and, you know, standing in front of the classroom or standing in front of the auditorium to read, you know, whatever it may be. Um, So the ACC stands for your attitude, your confidence, and your character. And those are the things that we try to build upon with our project for each student. And what I found is, you know, if you're open to them, they'll tell you what's wrong. They'll tell you what's going on. I agree with that, yeah. I think that, um, like you said, a lot of times, I think people treat a job as if it is a job. And, you know, I had a few great teachers throughout school, but not enough that I think that I gained a lot during my, my school years. Um, I think you those teachers that are definitely there to be there for the students and whatnot, they are definitely those people that will take you under their wings and you know, have conversations with you and figure out what's going on and whatnot. But for the most part, I think teachers are very overwhelmed with the amount of the class size. I think the generations are different than what they used to be. And I just don't see as much interaction with the students that they used to have. And I don't know if that's that they don't have the passion for it. I don't know if it's they don't have the resources. They have too many students. Um, I really don't know where the disconnect is, but it's definitely something that 
like you said, if if you can start early with these kids in preschool and, you know, middle or um, elementary school, I really think that you add to what they are able to accomplish in middle school and high school, especially in the the age of technology where everything is online and you don't have to interact. You don't have to talk. You know, you can write a sentence. Great. But does that mean that you can articulate that sentence and what you're trying to say in person? And I just don't think that they have the skills that they need sometimes. And, you know, like I said, I don't know if that's a resource thing or if it's a teacher thing, it's a student thing. Not really sure. I, I, I honestly believe that they have too many students in one class. And I'm not saying that they don't they don't know how to do their job. Um, but I know even with working with students in a mentoring program, like it's it's too many students and too many, you know, interactions for you to be able to watch every single thing that's going on and also keep the attention of each student that's in your class. So um, the other thing that I'm I'm trying to offer to my county, uh, which is here in Maryland, uh, called Prince George's County, Maryland, um, is that, you know, my whole basis of this project was to bring the senior citizens back into the community as well, because my grandmother felt like she was left out. Um, I still have a living grandmother now. But, you know, the seniors, they're, they're, they're feeling left out of the community as they age. And I don't want to feel that way when I get older. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, they, they feel like, you know, no one comes to see them. They don't have anyone to talk to. And, you know, all of that wisdom is just withering away and you're not using it at all. So um, my thing is I'm trying to bring the senior citizens into the schools from elementary, middle and high school for them to not only work for my project and distribute information far as, you know, scholarships and resources for their parents to get better jobs, you know, write resumes, whatever the case may be, but also to have volunteers come in to help the teachers, you know, maybe a certain number of times a week, a month, or whatever the case may be, to help them. Because I have friends that's teachers, and they do a lot of work, and a lot of they're not paid for. Right. And a teacher is one of the most disrespected professions right now. Because you can't tell me that you want kids to be the future, but then you don't pay the teachers what they deserve. You're preparing them for college, but you're not giving them professor salaries. That doesn't make sense to me. Right. So it's, it's like, you know, how do you think that this person is really going to be motivated to teach or handle all these situations or problems that they have going on daily in the classroom just to teach a lesson? And you're still paying them, you know, just a, a, a little bit of capital from the state, from taxes. It's crazy. Definitely agree with that. I, I definitely don't think that teachers have the resources. I think there's too many kids. Um, I know my my daughter is 14 and in, in her last year of middle school. And she says the class is too big. It's very um, disruptive. The teacher can't handle the kids so it limits what she can do in the classroom because you have half the class that's acting up and half the class that wants to learn and the class the side of the class that's acting up is affecting the kids ability to do their jobs and for the teacher to be effective so I think a lot of times these teachers are forced to deal with stuff that isn't even relevant to 
their curriculum and they just can't do it all. They can't act as, you know, a teacher while they're trying to be disciplinarians for the kids. And I mean, I think teachers today have it very, very rough compared to even what my teachers had 20 years ago. Right. And I mean, I, I, the older I got, the more I apologize to my teachers. I don't know where they are today. All of them. (laughs) I apologize. And I'm telling you because that is one of the most crucial roles. Like they're, they're basically superheroes without capes because you can't, you can't put a price on the lessons or the talks that they have with you for the ones that do talk to their students. Um, Because, you know, just a general conversation or one little, you know, word or one little standby, you know, say, hey, you know, you need to do this and you need to stop doing this. Sometimes those things matter and it push the student to do better because they see what's around them that's, you know, pretty much no good. And like I said, I apologize to my teachers for ever acting out in class. But <laughs> at that time, I was, you know, unknowledgeable of what I was getting myself into, um, you know, in the future with not paying attention, not listening, whatever the case may be. I definitely apologize because that is, that is a hard job. Um, uh, I take my hats off to them because that that is, you know, a really, really hard job. It is. I, I remember um, middle school, I had a teacher that for whatever reason, he was older and, you know, I was going through my prime of teenage rebellion and every chance I had, I think, to disrespect that teacher, I did. And at the end of the year, he went around the class and he told each class member what he really enjoyed about them. And when he got to me, he said, well, I saved the hardest for last. He said, but he's like, as difficult as this class has been, I will say that I appreciate your ability to say what's on your mind, to not hold back. Like, you think you need to hone it, but, you know, I do appreciate what you've brought. And I remember just being so shocked because <laughs> I thought that teacher for sure had nothing nice to say about me. And it really did change the way I reacted to my teachers. And, you know, in high school, I was a lot better about watching my mouth and not giving attitude. But if I could go back and say I'm sorry to that teacher, I... Most definitely would, because he definitely had a challenge with me. And luckily, there was just one of me in that class and not, <laughs> you know, a whole class of me, because um, he definitely had his hands full. And he held, you know, took it in stride and would take deep breaths and try not to react. And, you know, hats off to him. Yeah, <laughs> he I put mean, up he with definitely show his character on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. That, that speaks volumes. All right. Well, it was very, very nice talking to you today, uh, Renee. Um, I do appreciate you coming on and giving us your experience. Um, I hope that this can help someone else out there, not only to understand, you know, the workforce, but also understand how to respect teachers. Um, I have an e-book coming out as well um, that I was supposed to bring out for my birthday on the 1st of March, but my editor said no. So, um, you know, I actually had a goal to finish it. I finished it by that goal, and I'm the stubborn one. I like to do things and get it done and then push it out. But sometimes that's not the best. <laughs> so I pretty much was, you know, kind of putting everything together. So now I'm creating a series of ebooks for it. So now, you know, 
the first step of it is, uh, you know, do the right thing and do the right thing is basically um, saying, you know, respect your teachers, understand where they're coming from, you know, what's expected of you as a student, all of these good things so they can understand and actually see it instead of just hearing about it. Because that's one thing that bothers me is when people give advice, but they don't give instructions on how to do it or how to get to where you need to be. Right. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, I thank you once again for coming on. Um, I do plan to interact with you more on uh, <laughs> on LinkedIn. Um, I'm actually in the process of uh, posting videos and stuff like that. So, um, where where are you? Where are your office opening in Florida? That was my other question. Um, we haven't decided yet. My husband uh, just retired from the Navy, and he is. <laughs> From Florida, um, I don't know how he's going to take this California desert rat and put her in hurricane country or humid um, <laughs> climate, but we'll see how that goes. But I've never actually been to Florida, wow. so um, but we are planning. He's planning on going to school to be a marine biologist. Okay. So we're looking at a couple different schools in Florida. I think maybe the Melbourne area, but okay. I'm not familiar with the area. I'm just trying to. Uh, do my resume and just put out some feelers and see what bites. Okay. Well, I definitely can help you with that. Um, I actually mentor in Florida. Um, I have a high school in Orlando called Jones high school. Um, it's a, a fantastic high school. I wish I would have went there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they just have so many programs and resources. Like they got a nursing program that they can graduate with a nursing degree when they graduate I mean, they, they have so much. Um, but with that being said, you know, I have some contacts in Florida, so um, I can definitely research some agencies and try to figure out based on where you go, um, if anyone know anyone. But also, you know, you have LinkedIn. So reach out to people in, in or, um, not Orlando, but in Florida, <laughs> the area that you want to move to. And um, I'm sure they'll have no problem with helping you. Um, yeah, I do I, it I all the time. To- yeah, we did some of the bigger, like, um, I, where I live is has a military base on it. So we have a DCS contract here, which is actually how I got um, linked in with you was because okay. um, I was looking for something that, you know, if I could get in here, maybe transfer, but that didn't end up happening. Um, but I, I've looked at like Kennedy Space Center and, you know, the big employers. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not too familiar with the area, so I don't know any of the the smaller companies. So I kind of did some research on the bigger employers to see if I could um, do that, but just kind of, I'm open to everything and, you know, I don't necessarily know what I want to, to keep doing. I know I have my degree and I love HR. I don't know what HR is like in Florida. It's a whole different (laughs) field than California. Yeah. Um, So just, like I said, just trying to put things out there and see what takes. Yeah, but that's that's definitely a plus. Just just keep being active. Um, we do actually have uh, a new office opening up in Florida for my company for DCS Corp. Um, I'm not sure when they're opening. I think that we have people that's like remote for now um, in the Orlando area. But I know that they will be having an office open in Orlando. And I heard you talk about the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, I actually have a godfather who works for NASA for almost 30 years so awesome there's there's some more contacts for you see how god works 
<laughs> you gotta love networking. <laughs> yep. That's how it go. That's how it go. Can't do it without them. Can't do no, it you and you really do have to be willing to put it out there and you know ask for help and you know make contacts and go outside your comfort zones and be open and you know it's definitely something that's a little challenging for me. But I said I I I want to take this chance to I'm leaving the West Coast. I've never left the West Coast. I'm starting a whole new life. Like well, if I'm gonna take chances and I'm gonna you know, take that leap of faith and might as well go all in. That's right. That's right. Don't you love the East Coast? We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with Florida. They they got good weather. It rains a lot, but they, they have good weather. I'm just afraid of melting into a puddle. Yeah, the humidity <laughs> will be the difference, but you'll be all right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you reaching out to me, and I'm glad we got the chance to interact, and I definitely look forward to hearing from you in the future. All right, Renee. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too, sir. Bye-bye.